Well, this morning, uh, we are privileged to have a guest speaker here with us this morning. My, my older brother, Donovan Beyer, uh, is going to be speaking to us. Uh, he's following along in our series, and so his message is titled this morning, A Community of Faith. So I invite you to come on up, Donovan, and uh, I'll pray for you, and then read our scripture for us this morning. Let's pray together. Yeah, Father God, what a blessing it is to just invite people to, to come and share their testimonies and their hearts and, and message from, from your word for us. And uh, Lord, as Donovan speaks this morning, we just invite your Holy Spirit uh, to move on our hearts. Lord, may we receive from you all that you have for us. Lord, may you be glorified uh, in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The word of the Lord. Awesome. It's a real honor to be here with you all this morning. I was going to make a joke about how most people thought that Adam was older than me most growing up because he's a lot more mature and his room was a lot cleaner than mine. Um, but before I get into my sermon, I just want to take a second to honor Adam. I know he's been doing a lot of work with Norb on sabbatical, and I'm just really proud of you, Adam, and how you're helping lead this church. And why don't we just say thank you to Pastor Adam. <laughs> I, know he, I know he's looking forward to having Pastor Norb back in a few weeks, but it is a real honor to be here with you. Like Adam said, my name is Donovan. I work for an organization called Resurgence. We have three mandates. We want to see churches revived. We want to see leaders released, and we want to see people reached for Jesus. Um, My role with Resurgence is to lead what we do in Edmonton, and we do that by gathering once a month at a different church. So we have people from all different denominations, all different backgrounds gathered together once a month. We've been here at Terwilliger often for our gatherings, but it's a great expression of unity in the body of Christ. It's an expression of seeking God, and uh, it's an expression of calling the whole city to, uh, to what God wants for our city. So if you want to know more about Resurgence, the website is right there, liveresurgence.com. Uh, you can scan that QR code. That'll tell you more about uh, what we do. But it's a really amazing ministry. And part of my mandate with Resurgence is to serve churches. And so when I came on with Resurgence about a year ago, one of the things that, that I did is I just talked to a bunch of different pastors. How can we serve you as a ministry and as a church? And it's opened up lots of doors like, like this this morning. And uh, we've been able to do some cool things. We've, uh, we've seen many people come to know Jesus. Uh, one of our mandates is that Canada shall be saved. And so we've done a lot of trips to northern Arctic communities, uh, places where the government is called suicide epidemics. We've been able to go into those places and share the hope of Jesus in those places. Um, places where um, um, my colleague and I got to go to Loon Lake Reserve last Christmas around this time, and we got to share the love of Jesus there. Just a lot of different, um, God's doing a lot of really cool things through this ministry. And so I encourage you to check out our website and get to know more about what we're doing. Um, but yeah, so this morning I'm going to talk about a community of faith. A community of faith. Now faith is one of those words that uh, I think there's been a lot of different, uh, not necessarily good applications of, but this morning I want to talk about what faith is and what it looks like for us to live a life of faith. But first off, how many of you have been to Camp Caroline? 
Anyone? Anyone? All right. How many of those people have done the leap of faith? Anyone? All right. You can go to that picture. So I want to start off by asking, what is faith? And so this right here is called the leap of faith. This is not the one at Camp Caroline. It's a different one. But basically all it is is it's a massive pole. It's about 25 feet high. You climb up the pole. You stand on top. And the whole point of it is to hit an object by jumping off of it. Who would do something like that? A few of us. A few, a few of us would. Now, I, uh, one of the summers that I was on staff at Camp Caroline, I had the privilege of being on the ropes team. So I was actually the one who was helping students and the kids do these different things. And one of the things that we did in ropes training is we learned all about the rope. We learned this is the type of rope. This is how strong the rope is. This is how strong the pulley system is. And one of the things that they told us is that that little rope, that little pulley, when it's correctly used, could support the weight of an elephant. Now, for those of you who wouldn't do that, knowing that in your mind, would that change your mind? No. <laughs> All right. So even believing about something, believing that something is safe, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to take the step and jump and trust that that's, that's safe. And so what faith is, is faith is actually believing that it's safe and taking that step and saying, I'm going to trust this rope. I'm going to trust that it holds me. Now we can put our faith in the wrong things at times. And this happened to me once at camp too. I don't want to scare any of you parents who send your kids to camp. This has never happened with a camper. But uh, when we were doing ropes training, I was up on the, they call them the high, high ropes. It's a really high section and I was being belayed by a, uh, another ropes leader who was much, much smaller than me. And it's very important for a ropes leader to have a backup belayer. And so what that means is that she's the one who's actually holding me, and there's someone behind her holding the rope, so it's a backup. And what happened is the backup belayer didn't realize, or just was distracted for a second, <laughs> and it was the same exact second that I fell off. And so you can imagine, I went down, she went up, and um, it actually did happen where I, I didn't hit the ground because thankfully someone was able to grab the rope in time. But um, sometimes we can put our faith in the wrong things. <laughs> Even though the rope was safe, there was nobody holding on to it. <clears throat> I tell that story kind of to be funny, but also uh, just as, as an analogy that, um, that the idea of faith, again, is not just believing. You can tell me that this weight can hold an elephant. You can tell me that this rope is strong enough to hold however many tons. But if I don't do anything about it, I don't actually have faith in that rope. Faith is more than just believing enough. Faith is confident assurance that leads us to action. You're all practicing faith right now by sitting in that chair. You are trusting that that chair is going to hold your weight and not buckle under you. We practice faith every time we get on an airplane. That the pilot knows what they're doing. That we're going to get to the place that it says. Hebrews 11 verses 1 to 3 is one of the prime definitions of faith in the New Testament. And I'm going to be all over the place this morning. Um, Hebrews 11, 1 to 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And verse 6 says this. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The Greek word for faith used throughout the New Testament is the word pistis. And what that word means is it's a strong confidence in, a reliance upon someone or something, often with the object of trust understood. What did Jesus say about faith? 
In Matthew 17, he said, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you will move a mountain. Nothing will be impossible for you. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians talked about faith. He said that we walk by faith and not by sight. Romans 10, Paul talks about how faith comes from hearing the word of God. And uh, the message is heard about, or sorry, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard about Christ. So again, faith is not just about believing more. It's not about like mustering up emotion that I'm going to believe something. Faith is this confident assurance in what we cannot see. A God who said that he's good, we're going to believe that he's good. And a God who's given us promises, we're going to believe those promises, even if we don't see them, even if they don't make sense. C.S. Lewis gives a really great definition of faith, where he says this, Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason once accepted, in spite of your changing moods. I really appreciate that definition of faith. So my big idea to us this morning, what I want to share uh, is this, that God's power and his word invite us to a life of faith that involves believing God for the impossible and following Jesus in a radical way. And uh, what I wanted to do this morning, and what uh, Adam wanted me to do as well, was share a bit of my testimony because um, I, I want to illustrate that we serve a God who is alive, that the God of the Bible is the same God that we serve today. We, we see miracle after miracle in the Bible. We see promise after promise come to fruition in the Bible. And it's easy to look at life and think that those things have stopped or those things have ceased, but I don't think that's the case. And my testimony, I believe, is a real uh, affirmation of the fact that we serve a God who is still alive and who still heals today. And um, I could share a lot about who I am, a lot about, uh, a lot about my story, but I want to specifically share one part of my story that happened when I was in, in high school, going into grade 11. Uh, I was out for a walk with my family. We were in Canmore in Grassy Lakes. Has anyone done the Grassy Lakes hike in Canmore? Absolutely gorgeous hike if you've never done it before. And uh, about halfway up the hike... Uh, there's a viewpoint where you can see a waterfall and you can see the city of Canmore. It's an amazing, it's an amazing viewpoint. Um, but for whatever reason, in my youthful ignorance, I don't know why it happened. I don't know how it happened, but I fell off of that cliff. You can go to the next slide. We think it was about 70 feet that I fell. You can go to the one after that. Uh, there's my mom standing at the bottom of it. Um, and um, basically, I lost three days of memory. I don't know what happened between falling and three days. Just it's all muddied. It's all kind of, dis- I just don't know what happened. But um, one thing I do know that happened, and my brother could probably speak more to this, but he came down to me while I was down there. And he said that I was actually walking around and moving around at the bottom, just totally in shock and totally just not sure what was going on. And he was able to sit me down and calm me down as we waited for the paramedics to show up. But um, my first memories after falling, I woke up three days afterwards, and one of my first memories was the doctors going through the list of everything that I had broken. I'd broken uh, 14 bones. (laughs) So I broke um, my knee, my tibial plateau, I broke my hip in two places, three ribs, both of my wrists, my elbow, and I had fractured most, a lot of my skull as well. Uh, The thing the doctors didn't know at that point was the severity or intensity of any brain damage that had happened. They also didn't realize how much internal organ damage had happened. And so there was a lot of questions. There was a lot of uh, things that we weren't totally sure of. But what I didn't know at that time was that God had already been working miracles from the moment that, that I had come into the hospital till, um, and even before that, even with how Adam was able to come down to me, God had already been working miracles uh, throughout that time. Because the day, or sorry, the day of my accident, so the accident happened in Canmore. They cleaned me up there, flew me into Calgary, 
And uh, somebody was praying for me in Calgary with my parents. And the doctors were not hopeful <laughs> at this point. They were saying it's going to be a rough, a rough night. It could be really bad. And um, somebody was praying for me. And God, God led this person to the verse Psalm 118, verse 17. So he opened his Bible to Psalm 118, 17. And it says this, I will not die but live and proclaim what God has done. And he spoke that verse over my life that day. I will not die but live and proclaim what God has done. And, uh, and I just remember my parents retelling that to me, just of the, the, the presence of God just being in that place. And again, my brother could probably speak more to this, but my dad tells of how him and, him and Adam were out for a walk, and um, just they could see all the stars in the sky that night, just a perfectly clear night in Calgary. And um, they said, they really felt God's peace. My dad said, no matter, it was very difficult, it was very hard, we felt like we could have peace. God's got this. Remember my dad saying that he just sensed the Lord's voice. I've got this. I've got this. And so coming out of that, um, in the hospital, diagnosis, all this, the, uh, the doctors told me that I probably wouldn't be able to walk for six months. They told me that I probably wouldn't be able to go back to school this year. They said, it's not looking good. And, um, and I just remember the, uh, my initial response was like shock, obviously, and but I never felt like anger at God or like, I, 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 there was never this big moment or crisis of faith. I knew that he had something in this. And part of that was because my mom, our mom's amazing. She brought, she brought a CD player into our hospital room and she would play the song, Blessed Be Your Name, on repeat. We listened to it over and over again. And so in the midst of this trial that we were facing, we were listening to that song, Blessed Be Your Name, on the road Mark was suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. You give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. So we kept that posture of worship, and God kept on moving. There were people praying for me all over the world. I, I bet you some of you in this room were praying for me at that time, which I want to thank you for today. Um, but God moved miraculously, and I was sent home from the hospital, I kid you not, in two weeks. Two weeks to the day of the accident. Uh, the doctor would come in every morning, and he would say, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't know how you're getting so much better so quickly. Like, I've never seen anything like this before with some of the language that he was using. We're like, we know. We know what's going on. God's moving. God's powerful. So two weeks to the day of the accident, I went home from the hospital. I was home for about a week, and I started getting, like, the worst migraines that I've ever had. Just so much pain in my head. And so I had to go back to the hospital. And they did an MRI, and they found that part of my, my optic bone, which holds my eye in place, had been really broken. And they said that it had actually severed part of my sinus. There was a little hole in my sinus. And so they said that there was a pocket of air that had been building in my brain for the last couple of weeks. And it had gotten so large that they needed to do major brain surgery. And so I was in the hospital again for another week. And, and I just remember that week, um, there were a couple of cool things that happened. The first was... My own heart, I just noticed God, I didn't feel fear about it. I didn't feel anger. It was more God has brought me this far. He wouldn't have brought me this far unless he had a plan for what was going to come. So I was in the hospital, and the day before my brain surgery, I went in to get all my broken bones x-rayed. This is four weeks to the day of the accident now. And every single one of my broken bones had completely healed. (laughs) The doctor said, again, this doesn't make sense, but as soon as you have gotten out of your brain surgery, you are able to start walking again. And I said, are you sure, doctor? <laughs> like, they told me six months. He said, no, you're totally healed. And um, it's absolutely phenomenal how God moved. 
So the day of my brain surgery, the, my dad reads through the Bible in the year. He's been doing this for decades, and it picks out a random passage for every day of the year. And on the day of my brain surgery, the passage that he read was Psalm 118. <laughs> Another reminder of God's faithfulness, his providence, how he was with us in the midst of this. Obviously, the brain surgery went, went well. The, um, it was a very major surgery. And one of the things that came out of the surgery was the, another miracle that God had done. Because the doctor would come in with a flashlight after the surgery, and he would shine it in my eyes. And he'd say, do you have any trouble seeing? Can you see? And I would say, I'm, yeah, I can see. And the doctor said, are you sure? I said, yes, I'm sure I can see. Like, I'm fine. And they noticed that when, when they were doing the brain surgery, they said that I also had really bad damage to my um, optic nerve. They said, you shouldn't be able to see out of one of your eyes with the damage that, that you sustained. It's, it's like, this doesn't make any medical sense that you can see today. And again, another miracle that we believe God, God has done. And it's cool because that one kind of comes full circle because I recently, they, <laughs> I was a bit of a test case. They were trying to figure out what was going on. And so I went to one of the top eye doctors in the province and he ran all these tests on me. And um, he's basically, he basically says to me, this makes no sense, but your eyes show no sign of head trauma at all. And anyone who knows anything about, about head trauma, when you, when you have head trauma, the first place that it shows is in your eyes. But God has completely healed and restored, restored them, which is absolutely amazing. And so uh, I share the story with you today to um, help, I think, build our faith that we serve a God who is able to move in powerful ways. Um, because my big idea, again, today is that God's Word, so what the Bible says about God and God's power enable us to live a life of faith. When we put those two things together, that we believe that what the Bible says is true, when we believe that what God says is true, and when we believe that he's active and involved in our lives still today, that's what enables us to live out a life of faith. So my first point today is really simple. We are invited into a life of faith. And I believe that living out a life of faith is kind of like seeing our life through the word of God. It's kind of like the Bible becomes the glasses, the lens through which we see what we experience in our life. A life of faith says that I'm going to see my circumstances. I'm going to see my daily life. I'm going to see the people in my life. I'm going to see the relationships that I have with people through my understanding of God's word and God's power. Faith is kind of like glasses or lenses through which we see the world. Faith should be the default that we walk through in everything that we do. Again, Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So it's this belief that the things that God's put in our hearts, the hopes that we have, he is going to fulfill them. And it's the conviction of things not seen. So one of the commentators that I was reading, he talks about how this has to do with our daily life, yes, but it also has to do with eternity. We can't see eternity. We can't see um, how God has saved us and will save us. But we can have faith in that. And our faith in the fact that God has an eternal plan for us that is good can keep us motivated, can keep us uh, following him in our everyday life. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old receive their commendation. What's cool about Hebrews 11, I don't have time to get into this whole passage, but uh, Hebrews 11 is basically like, they call it the hall of faith. So it just lists off person after person who experienced God in amazing ways as they took steps of faith. And what's incredible about it is Hebrews 12 then says, now fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
And so Hebrews 11 lists off all these amazing people who live by faith. And the Hebrews 12 says, the way to live that out, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the one who sees our faith realized and who allows us to live this life. Um, so verse 3, Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so God, again, works in that unseen realm. He works in that place where we can't always see it tangibly right in front of our eyes. And so faith is believing in God, believing in that. And then verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I think I had the slides there. Did I? Do we have Hebrews 11? Yeah. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so what is the way that we're able to please God? What pleases his heart is our faith. Again, faith isn't just believing enough. I I love to use that analogy of the leap of faith because, again, we can believe that God's good enough just like we can believe that this rope's going to hold us. But it isn't until we take that step that faith is realized. And faith is what pleases the heart of God. Without faith, it is actually impossible to please him. So how do we see with eyes of faith? And what does it look like to see with eyes of faith. I want to quickly draw our attention to a story in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 13. God's people have been promised this land. They've been promised that they'll be sent into to this place where it flows with milk and honey, where God's people will have a home. They've just been set free from slavery, and God's saying, I'm going to give you this promised land. And so what happens? Numbers 13, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. And so the people say, let's go send out 12 people to check out this land that God has promised us. And so they do that, Numbers 27, or Numbers 13, 27 and 28. And they told him, this is their report back, we came to the land that you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And so basically they go back. They see, yes, this land is amazing, like God said. But there's these people there. They're big. (laughs) They're strong. We're not going to be able to face them. We see in Numbers 13, verse 30 to 33, this is faith. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are way stronger than us. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all of its people are large and of great height. So we've got two men, Joshua and Caleb, who had faith. They said, God will actually bring us through this. We have ten men who said, no, we can't do this. They didn't live with faith. Graham Cook says, fear leads us to rebellion, but faith leads us to the occupation of the promises God has given us. Ten spies denied an entire nation access to the fulfillment of God's promise. Only two men from that generation inherited it. Those terrified soulish spies stole the dreams of people because they lived in fear and not in faith. I want to propose today that I think the opposite of faith is fear. We can often be so crippled by fear and by the things that we face that we forget who God is and how good he is and what he has invited us into in his promises. 
And so I tell that story about uh, the spies briefly because Joshua and Caleb had this incredible trust in God. And they said, no matter what we face, we believe that God is going to fulfill his promises. And the other spies lived in fear, and it was the fear that held the nation back. It was a lack of faith. So how do we live a life of faith? I have a few different things I want to propose. The first is through worship. I think one of the most, one of the most practical and tangible ways to live and grow our faith is through a life of worship. We just sang these amazing songs this morning about what God has done for us, about who he says we are. And uh, these songs of worship, what's so incredible about them is that as we sing those things, I think faith is built in our hearts. Um, there's a songwriter that I really love from the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. And she says, sometimes you've got to sing your way into the truth. How many of you have a song? Maybe it's a song like, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I don't know about you, but, but I was at my, my aunt's funeral and I was leading worship at, at her funeral. And we sang that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And, and I was just struck and overcome. As I was up there, I was weeping. Because even in the midst of this incredible pain and this incredible grief, we could say that God is faithful. I don't know about if, if any of you have had a similar experience at a funeral or you've been going through something difficult. And, and as soon as you start to worship, something shifts inside of you where you say, I can choose to trust God in this. It doesn't matter how hard it is. Um, I can choose to trust him. That's what happened when we were in the hospital room listening to Blessed Be Your Name. God, faith was, was rooted in us because we were singing of his faithfulness, even though what we were going through at the time was so difficult. Worship is one way that we grow our faith. And I think it's worship when we're gathered like this, but it's also worship when we're just going out through the week. And I want to propose if, if you're going through a really difficult situation— Maybe something to do is just put worship music on and just allow yourself to be reminded of God's presence with you in that place. And say, God, even though I may not agree with what's being sung right now, or even if I may not agree with the words of the song, Holy Spirit, help me to believe them. Help, give me the faith to believe that you are good. You are good. Give me the faith to believe that amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. We live a life of faith by worship. The next thing is we remember what God has done. Um, one of the practices that I've tried to do the last couple of years, and I'm not saying this to brag, is this is just part of, part of my, my walk with Jesus. I try to read the entire Bible in, in the month of January. And um, what I found as I was reading through the Old Testament that fast, you know what the most common commandment is in the New Testament? Over and over and over and over again? It's remember. I probably saw the word remember more. I noticed it more than almost any other word. You see this all throughout the prophets, all throughout the stories in, in Genesis through Leviticus. Remember God. Remember how he brought you out of Egypt. Remember how he did this. Remember how he did that. Remembering what God has done in the past can help give us faith in the present. Remembering how God saved us, what he saved us from, can give us faith in the midst of whatever we're walking through remembering. And so I want you to think through, how have you seen God's faithfulness in your life before? How have you seen his goodness and his life? And, and make sure you take time to, to reflect on those things and thank him for those things. Remember what God has done. That's why I love to share my testimony, because it, it's a reminder of that. The next thing is to wait expectantly. Um, this is both about actively leaning in in anticipation of what God's going to do, but it's also about allowing the Holy Spirit to build patience in us. 
wait expectantly. God's timing is not always our timing. Um, ironically, this is a part of my story I don't share very often, but it's important to kind of dispel some false notions. But when, when somebody came and prayed for me in the hospital, it was a few days after I was in there, they actually said to my dad, oh, Donovan's not getting better because you don't have enough faith. And I know that just set him off. <laughs> That's not something that I think is appropriate or true to the Bible at all. And so faith is about waiting expectantly that God's going to work in his timing because God was at work, even though it wasn't instantaneous and like the healing happened now, God saw what was going to happen. He saw the whole picture. And so faith is waiting expectantly. It's saying that I don't know how God's going to get me through this. I don't know when God's going to get me through this. But Holy Spirit, help me have patience to trust that you are going to get me through this. The next way that we grow faith is we sow into truth. This one's super important. We posture ourselves for truth. Um, I can have a lot of faith and feel really bold. And then I can spend like 20 minutes on Twitter. And all of a sudden I'm feeling like scared. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling afraid. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Because what we sow into is what's going to be produced in us. And so if we're sowing into fear and if we're sowing into to negative things, if we sow into um, to, to things that are destructive or things that, that will point us to places other than Christ then faith is not going to be produced in us. So we sow into truth. We let God's word be the final word. <laughs> it doesn't mean we don't watch the news. It doesn't mean we don't make ourselves aware of what's going on in the culture, but, but that's not the final word. That's not where I get my hope. That's not where I get my security. It comes from Christ and his word. Uh, the next thing, we grow in faith by a life of prayer. Um, this should go right up there with worship. There's no like order of these things, but... Living a life of prayer. Prayer should always be our first response. It should always be the thing that we do before anything else. And then finally, we have a posture of humility. We keep a posture of humility. <laughs> I think sometimes our lack of faith is actually because we think we know more than God about how our situation should go. Anyone else guilty of that? I'm definitely guilty of that sometimes. <laughs> it's like, God, if you, were, if you just knew all that's going on, then you would do this this way, not that way. Right? That's not very humble. And so we live out our faith in a posture of humility. Um, one of the, in the last year, a more recent story. So recently, I've only been working with Resurgence for just over a year. I was a pastor at McKernan Baptist for eight years before that. And when we knew it was time to go, um, we, my wife and I had started processing through like, oh, we don't know what's next, but we feel like God's calling us to go. And then COVID hit, and so we were kind of just navigating through COVID and all that at the church. And then um, what ended up happening is I had to take a stress leave because just COVID just overwhelmed me. It was so difficult what was going on with the church, and we had just had our second child. Life was crazy. And so during my stress leave, I felt like God was saying, you need to leave McKernan. It's time. There's something else. I've got something new for you. I've got something different for you. And uh, I was like petrified. I was like, I'm okay with this, like, nebulous, you know, maybe sometime later, but, like, to actually take the step to do it, I was petrified. And so um, it was interesting, because I, so I sent, um, I sent a message to a couple of my friends that are very discerning, and I asked them, just pray for me, and if God gives them any insight to let me know what, they're, what, what to do. And um, all of them sent me back, I think God is leading you to something new. I think God's expanding your denominational influence. They use language like that. I think God is actually bringing you to new new platforms. You've been, there's gifts that you have that you haven't been using, like these sort of things. And so um, all that was happening. And, and eventually I went back to McKernan after my stress leave. And I knew I was supposed to leave. 
And the first day that I'm back, Pastor Dan says to me, we have a meeting tomorrow. And the whole point of this meeting is to answer the question, where do you see yourself at McKernan in the next five years? <laughs> and so all this is going on in my head, and I'm like, God, what am I supposed to do? And it's actually Adam and uh, another friend of ours. I had a meeting with them that day. And I remember Adam and, and Pastor Stephen were like, this is your opportunity to take a step of faith. This is where you expect that, that God's been leading you, so take a step, even though it doesn't make sense. And God's going to get you. He's going to have your back. And it was really cool because that, that day I shared with the staff that I feel like God is calling me to leave McKernan. I don't know what's next. I don't know when I'm supposed to leave, but I will not be here in September of next year. And um, just fast forward, uh, the, I was working with Resurgence as a volunteer, but I talked to Travis, who's the leader of Resurgence, about coming on staff. And he said, I don't know about that. We don't have any money, all this sort of thing. And um, we just really felt like it was, it was kind of up in the air whether or not this was going to happen. And, um, but I felt very strongly like I was supposed to put in my resignation. And so the day I put in my resignation, my dad calls me the morning that it's going to the board. He says, Donovan, this is your last chance. Do you want to leave? I said, yep, I'm following God. I know he's got me. I don't know what's next. He's like, you have two kids. You have a mortgage. I'm good. I know God's going to catch me. And what ended up happening, the same day, that day, two hours after I talked to my dad, is when Travis called me from Resurgence. He said, hey, we just met as a board. We feel like God wants us to take a step of faith. We want to offer you a job. And the timing was amazing. Because it literally was like two weeks after I finished at McKernan, I started at Resurgence. And the way that God used that whole transition was just so powerful. McKernan was able to ordain me with the NAB and send me into my new ministry role which is really cool. So steps of faith. We live a life of faith. That's the life we're invited into. So what does faith mean? Faith means believing God for the impossible. Believing God for the impossible. Mark chapter 6 is a very scary story. It's actually one of the most troubling passages in the whole Gospels for me. It says this, Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown. His disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and his sisters are here with us? And they took offense to him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went among the villages teaching. Um, Different translations have different words for that unbelief word, but one of the most consistent ones is their lack of faith. He could do no miracles there because of their lack of faith. It's troubling because I wonder what God wants to do in our midst that my lack of faith might be limiting him from doing. This doesn't make a lot of sense. This is actually a very, like, it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around this, that, that my faith might impact what God is able to do. But we see in, in the Gospels consistently, Jesus, when he heals somebody, he, he'll often say, you're healed because of your faith. There's a story where, where a, a paralytic man is lowered through the roof. Uh, A couple of his friends come to where Jesus is teaching, and it's so packed that they have to break through the roof, and they lower their friend down to Jesus. And Jesus heals this paralytic man. And then he says to 
he says to him, your friend's faith has healed you. The faith of the friends. There's another story where Jesus heals a a woman who had been bleeding for, for decades. She had gone and looked for all the help that she could get, but it didn't stop. Jesus heals her after she touches the hem of his robe, and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. What does God want to do amongst us? What might he want to do with with us, with you at TCC Church? What are some of the amazing things that he's calling us to? Maybe maybe it's a simple step, like maybe your step of faith is inviting your neighbor to come out to this this thing, this uh, Christmas uh, celebration or this party that you're doing in a couple weeks. Um, Maybe the step of faith is to to serve and be more involved. Uh, Maybe it's inviting someone to Alpha. Um, What is the step of faith that we need to take to see God do amazing things in our midst? The two stories that are mentioned, (laughs) both of those were pretty extreme steps of faith. The friends literally broke a hole through a roof and lowered their friend through it. The woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment also took a huge step of faith because she was unclean. So she was risking making Jesus unclean too. Again, it's not about the size or believing more. It's about the willingness to step into obedience. The willingness to do that which we're supposed to do. That's what faith is. And so if faith means believing God for the impossible, my question for us this morning is what are some of the steps we need to take to receive the impossible that Jesus has for our lives? What does it look like for us to touch the hem of Jesus' robe this morning? What are we believing him for and what steps do we need to take of faith to walk in what he's inviting us into? One of the things that I want to be said of me is that I don't want my life to make any sense outside of God's intervention. I don't, want to, I don't want to just go through the motions of Christianity. I want to actually live a life that believes that, that the book of Acts is the reality that we live in today. That the, the miracles, that the, the amazing things, the steps, the risks, the boldness, that's a normal part of the way that I live my life. I don't want my life to make any sense without God's intervention. We believe God for the impossible. But where I want to kind of land the plane is that faith also means we follow Jesus in a radical way. And it's not just radical for believing in the big moments. It's radical for the everyday stuff. I saw this post on Instagram and and it talked about how, you know, like how what is radical Christianity 20 years ago is very different from what it is today. And it said today, like radical Christianity is like staying married. (laughs) Radical Christianity is like, you know, being nice to people. (laughs) It's like listening you know, like, but I think we, put, we can put so much focus on the extraordinary that we forget that faith is often about the ordinary. Faith is about the day-to-day life, obedience to Jesus. And that's why I wanted Adam to read out of James chapter 2, because it's just such an amazing invitation to us. Um, James two seventeen says this, Faith also by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. So again, another reminder that faith isn't just believing. Faith is actually living out what we believe. And I don't have time to get into the whole story, but I think one of the best stories about this in the entire Bible is the story of a man named Joseph. Joseph um, was was one of Israel's sons, and, and he was the favorite son, we read. In the Old Testament, it talks about how he received the special robe from his dad. 
You know, he was also one of the youngest sons. He wasn't the youngest. He was second youngest, but he was the favorite. Um, <laughs> any of you wonder if you're the favorite son or you think your sibling's the favorite? Uh, it can cause issues. But what happened is Joseph was given dreams from God of, of um, his brothers and his parents kneeling at his feet. And rather than just like pushing those things aside and like kind of believing for them, Joseph was bold and he said, you know what, brothers, I had this dream. (laughs) One day you guys are going to kneel at my feet. What a silly thing to say, right? (laughs) Why would you ever say that? And um, so what did his brothers do? His brothers, they took him out into the wilderness. They threw him in a well. They took his special coat. They ripped it up. They covered it in lamb's blood. They took it to the dad and said, your son is dead. Your son is dead. One of the brothers had mercy on Joseph because he went back and he took him out of the well. But his mercy was to sell him into slavery. And so Joseph was sold into slavery. And again, I don't have time to get into all the details of the story. But what happened is Joseph had so much character and so much integrity everywhere that he went that he was elevated above all of the other slaves. It talks about how Joseph served so well that he was given the, the head of everything that he did. And so, and he worked his way up, actually. As a slave, he worked his way up to one of Pharaoh's um, kind of top dogs, one of his main people. <laughs> and he worked his way up to the top of his household. And there's a story where Joseph was, it says that Joseph was good looking. He was attractive. And the wife of the person that, who, that owned him came and wanted to sleep with Joseph. And, and I, I tell this story because um, I think somebody in Joseph's situation would have had every reason to just give in, right? God gave me this dream, but everything in my life since then has not lined up with that dream. There's no way that, that God's going to bring me to that place, right? How easy would it have been to justify sin in that moment? But no, Joseph was a man of faith, so he said, I'm going to trust God's promises. I'm going to live with integrity, and I'm not going to give in to sin. And then what happened is, because of his integrity— Joseph was framed and deceived, uh, the Potiphar's wife deceived the others to say that Joseph had come on to her, and Joseph was thrown into prison. What an amazing picture of faith, right? And what happened in prison? Joseph had so much integrity that he was elevated to the, the lead slave in the prison. And then the story goes that Joseph eventually was out of prison because he was able to interpret the dream of Pharaoh, and Eventually, we read that Joseph's brothers and his parents come and kneel at his feet. God fulfills the dream for Joseph. He fulfills the dream for Joseph. But what we read about Joseph is even when that dream looks so far off, Joseph said, I'm going to live with integrity. I'm going to live with obedience. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to be the best that I can be for him, not for me. And God brought to fruition that dream. And that's faith. Faith is following Jesus in a radical way. And I don't use radical in that sense of selling everything and moving somewhere. Like that could be your radical. God might be inviting you to that. And that that would be amazing. But radical is, is following Jesus in the everyday life. How we parent our kids, how we love our neighbors, how we share the gospel with people, how we we allow ourselves to 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 be different from the rest of society. That's following Jesus in a radical way. And that's faith. Obedience, simple obedience, is a fruit of a life of faith. 
And so, um, again, my big idea today was God's power and his word invite us to a life of faith that involves believing God for the impossible and following Jesus in a radical way. So my question for you is, what is your step of faith today? What is your step of faith today? What is God inviting you into? It might be something big. It might be something really simple. It might just be a reorientation to daily walking with Jesus, um, giving of yourself to him. There may also be some of you in this room who have not taken that first step of faith to Jesus. Maybe some of you who have been seeking out Jesus and you've heard of him and you, you've wanted to live this life, but you haven't made that decision yet. And I want to say, if that's you, today is, is your day. I think Holy Spirit's inviting some of you here. As I, I wasn't going to do this, but as I was driving here this morning, I just felt really strongly that, that, we, that we need to pray. If there's anyone in this room who hasn't accepted Christ yet, who hasn't made that first step of faith, we need to give an opportunity for that. And so we're going to do that in a minute or so. But what is your step of faith today? Worship team, you guys can come up. Um, we're going to end with a song called Spirit of God. And, and I love this song because it just speaks to a longing and a hunger for Jesus. Because <laughs> that's really where it starts. Like, the, the way that we're able to live this radical life comes out of knowing and, and desiring and, and allowing him to change us on the inside. And it's God's spirit that is at work in us, making us like Jesus. And so as we sing the song, Spirit of God, it might be new to some of you. It might be a song you know well. But I just encourage you to really like pray your prayer today. There's a line in there, all this life will bring you glory. That's living the life of faith. I really think God's doing a work in us. So uh, let's just spend some time in prayer. So let's just bow our heads and posture ourselves in prayer. God, I just thank you so much for the invitation of a life of faith. God, this invitation of life together that we, this, this church has been walking through for the last few months, God, what an amazing invitation. And Lord, as we look today at faith and the role that it plays, I pray that we would be strengthened in our faith. Those of us who know you, God, those of us who've walked with you, would be strengthened in our faith today. Again, it's not about believing more, but it's about the, the courage to step out in, in, in knowing that you've got us that your promises are true. And so, Holy Spirit, even as we sing this song, I pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God, that we would know you as you are, that we'd be able to trust you as you are. And Jesus, I want to pray for anyone in this room who has not taken that step of faith yet. And if that's you today, it's really simple. The prayer we're going to pray is really simple. I'm going to want you to pray, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for trying to do life on my own. I'm sorry for allowing sin to be at work in my heart. I'm sorry that I've worshipped created things above creator God. The second thing to pray is thank you. Thank you for coming and dying on the cross so that I could be in relationship with you. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sin so that I could walk in freedom and wholeness. Sin is not over me. The final thing to pray is please, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with yourself. Give me all that I need to live this life for you. And so if that's you today and you feel like there's something on your heart, you want to pray that, I'm sorry, thank you, please, just in the quiet of your own heart. Just encourage you now, just, just say that to him, I'm sorry. Thank you.
Please fill me with yourself. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your spirit. I don't want to do this life alone. I want to live this life of faith. If you prayed that prayer today, I just encourage you to share that with Pastor Adam or one of, or somebody you came with or just don't let that be something that goes without telling somebody about. Yeah, Jesus, I just pray for everyone here in this room now that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would give us faith to believe that you want to do amazing things in our midst. And God, we believe that, that you have incredible things in store for us as we walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name, amen.